from that same word of God this morning. God also wishes to instruct us, to encourage us, to strengthen our faith. And so we turn to Luke chapter 4. We're continuing our series in Luke, but we go to Luke chapter 4 this morning, verses, and we read verses 1 through 13. Just want to say a couple of things before we read this passage, just so that we can set the context once again. But there's three times in Christ's life where he was very much alone in his suffering. <clears throat> Certainly he spent time alone in prayer, but three times he was all alone in his suffering. Once when he was tempted by the devil, right? He was tempted by the devil for our sakes so that we could overcome temptation. That's what we look at this morning. And the next major time was in Gethsemane. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me, referring to his coming crucifixion on the cross. He was at one point all alone. Even his three disciples were away from him. He moved himself from them. He was all alone in his grief, carrying the sins of his people upon himself. And the last time was on the cross. My God, my God, why he forsaken me. Well, Reddy is very much here. Notice that he was baptized. That's what we covered last time. He was baptized. Why was he baptized? Not for his own sins, but for our sins. He came to carry our sins on his own back, the sins of the world on his back. And it was crushing. But in order to deal with our sin, who did he have to conquer? Satan. And so you notice that immediately after his baptism, after his going um, just begin his ministry, the first act in his ministry was to face Satan, the one he used to overcome and crush. Praise God for his redeeming grace. He was willing to humble himself so lowly so that we might have that salvation. It already begins here. Actually, it begins with his birth. But you see it manifested here in his ministry and his temptation by the devil. So Luke 4, you'll notice that it comes after the genealogy, so it connects very much with Jesus being the son of Adam. There's a genealogy, a family tree of Adam, which connects to Jesus. He's a divine son of God, true God, but also true man of the family of Adam. And we read in verse 4, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you see the Son of God, Sorry, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, 
and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle, that is the wing of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear upon you, or bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And of course, we know throughout his ministry, the devil would try to come again and again to try to, to, try to unseat him, to, to uh, go against what God had called him to do. So that's what we focus on this morning is Luke 4, 1 through 13. And you think about it, what a fitting way to begin the new year. Right? The whole matter of, you know, the temptations that will come to us in this coming year. There will be many. And maybe sometimes unexpectedly temptations will come to us. The first Sunday of the new year. What a beautiful thing to focus on temptation. Of course, not temptation in itself, but the Christ who enables us to overcome temptation. This is the, the hope and the glory that we have in Christ, even for this coming year. But as we get into this, we should maybe ask the question, what is temptation? What is it? What does it mean to say, oh, I was tempted again? Well, simply put, we have to be really clear, temptation, is it a sin? No, temptation is not a sin, but it's an enticement to sin. It's a lure, right? It's Satan's lure, or maybe the lure of our sinful flesh that says, come, come, you can do this. It'll be okay, right? It's, a, it's a, an enticement to disobey the Lord. It's to disobey God, and you could say, give in to Satan. That's when we sin, right? When we give in to the temptation, disobey God, that's when sin is conceived. Think about fishing for a moment. When we fish, what do we use? We use a lure to bait the fish, and when the fish bites, it has given in to the bait. That's the image that James uses in James 1, 13 to 16. When we yield to temptation, what happens? We give ourselves, when we give ourselves into it, that's when we sin. James Adams, or sorry, uh, Jay Adams, in a study on James 1, he says, every time of trouble comes as a wall with two doors. When trouble comes, see it as a wall, and there's always two doors for the child of God. On the one door is written, God's way to victory. On the other door is written, Satan's way to defeat. And the fact that if we walk through the wrong door, if we choose for the wrong door, we should never, ever blame God for that. 
It's never God's fault. His fault is ourselves. You can't even blame the devil. The devil's behind it, but you can't even blame. Ultimately, the blame is ourselves. And so what do we need in this new year? We need strength, don't we? Temptations come in so many ways, so many ways to us. We need the strength to say no, no to sin. We need strength in new year to say yes to God. And we need the strength to overcome the temptation to sin. So the question is, where are we going to find that strength to stand? So many people think that, oh, I have, I'm strong in myself. The Bible warns us, beware lest you fall. No, you're not. Nobody is. Nobody is strong in himself to stand strong against the tempter. If we think we can, we don't understand the power of the tempter. We don't understand the power of the devil. Jesus faced that power and he overcame him. So our strength is only in one, and that's in Jesus. There's no other where we can overcome sin and temptation except in Jesus. So what we see in Luke chapter 4, Christ here is, you have the first Adam in the garden, but now you have the second Adam, that's Jesus. He was tempted by the devil, really so. This is not fiction. It's not a dream of Jesus. It wasn't a vision. Devil came in visible form, as he did to Adam in the garden. And he actually led Jesus to these actual places. It's historical. And these were real temptations. Jesus goes very, you could say he humbles himself into this circumstance, painful Severe temptations. But he didn't do it for himself. He did it for our sake, in our place. And so what we're going to see this morning is two things. Jesus overcame in his temptations. How many temptations were there here? Three. He overcame in them. And second, the reason he did that is so that we can overcome in temptation. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, don't forget, at baptism, he was anointed by the Spirit, equipped and strengthened for the task that God had given him to do, and that was to crush the head of Satan. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. The Spirit now led Jesus, the one who's going to carry our sins. He led Jesus into the wilderness after his baptism. For what purpose? To be tempted. The Spirit doesn't tempt, right? Remember, you know when we pray, lead us not to temptation? Sometimes God allows us to enter into circumstances where he tests our faith. But it's the devil who tempts. So the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Jesus must go through this. He must go through this for our salvation. Why was it so necessary? Well, think back to the first Adam. This connects very closely with Luke 3, verse 38, the family tree of Adam. Jesus comes from the family tree of Adam. The first Adam was tempted by Satan in the garden. 
Did Adam pass the test? Did he pass the temptation? No, he failed. He failed. He, as our head, the head of the human race, as our representative, he sinned, he disobeyed God, and brought death into the world. You see the end of temptations? You see the end of falling into temptation, giving into temptation? Satan's motive is always hatred. His motive is one of hate. His goal is destruction, death, always. Oh, he puts it in sweet packages. Oh, I got a sweet deal for you. And it's so tantalizing to the taste, to the eye, to the ear. But look what happened. And now you see Jesus in the valley, not in the garden. Here you see Jesus, the second Adam, the new head, our new representative. Now he's tempted in our place to reverse the curse that the first Adam brought upon the human race. This was the road of his humiliation upon which he began for our salvation. Of course, it's his birth, but in his ministry here. Unlike the first Adam, is he in the garden? No, he's not in the garden. He's not in the garden of God's favor, but he's in the wilderness. You could say the God-forsaken wilderness. Unlike the first Adam, Adam, who was happy, well-fed when he was tempted, Jesus had been fasting 40 days and nights, suffering from intense, intense hunger. Verse 2 says, And in those days he ate nothing. Remember, this is a huge task he has to carry. He has to carry the sins of the world. He's fasting. He's meditating on Scripture. He needs strength to overcome Satan for us, to bear the sins on the cross. He must obey. He must pass the test if we are to have that salvation. You know, Satan tempts Jesus to do what? Basically, think of the three temptations. His whole point is that Satan, that Jesus may follow Satan's way, not God's way. Right? That's what temptation is. We're tempted to follow the way of Satan, not the way of God. To disobey God and listen to Satan. And Satan, he does not want the, our Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross. Because if Jesus goes to the cross, that means he puts uh, sin to death. He puts death to death. And that means Satan is the big loser. And Satan is going to try every way to try to keep Jesus from dying on the cross. And so in the first temptation, the wilderness is filled with stones. And Satan points to this little stone by Jesus. Um... You're the son of God, aren't you? He said, well, indeed he is. Jesus is the son of God. Well, then, command this stone to become bread. Think of the pain of hunger. 40 days without food. 40 days, 40 nights. We're not just talking about days, but nights as well. And how that hunger must have pierced, pierced Jesus' body when he heard the word bread. You see him suffering already for our sakes, not for himself. He's willing to endure this. What love, what grace. Like the first Adam, Jesus is tempted to eat forbidden food, 
food. Remember, Adam was forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree. Now Satan tempts Jesus to eat the forbidden food by turning stone into bread. Jesus had just heard the voice from heaven at his baptism. Remember his, the voice of the Father? You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And now Jesus hears the taunt. <laughs> if you're the son of God, let's see it. Prove it. You really think God is going to look after you? How come you're hungry? You really believe God? You really believe your father? Command this stone to become bread. Son of God. Ha. Hungry? That doesn't make sense. Son of God? Yet hungry? How silly. And you think of it. Already here you see the taunt. Already here you see the taunt um, that Jesus is going to face on the cross. Ha! If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Right? There again, it was Satan's attempt to keep Jesus from dying on the cross. We will never understand the depth of Christ's suffering for us as he is who? He is the divine, holy son of God. Yet, how is he tempted? He's tempted as to his human nature, fully God, truly God, truly man, tempted in our human nature, a nature like ours, a human nature like ours, except without sin, as Hebrews says. You notice how Jesus answered? How we should answer. When we're tempted, with the word of God. Three times, Jesus answers with the word of God. He, he spends no time arguing with Satan. He doesn't reason with Satan. He puts a stop to it immediately. Because when you start arguing, what do you do? You start giving in. A little, a little, a little. You start conceding, conceding. Jesus stands with the word of God. And he says, it is written... What does he say? He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus realized trusting and obeying God is far more important than your physical things in life. It's far more important than being satisfied with physical bread. Trusting and obeying God far more than satisfying your hunger for physical things. Wow. Past. But Satan, you know, he's relentless. Remember, Satan literally means accuser. Double literally means slanderer. He's a liar. He's wicked. He's one of those wicked fallen angels, right? There's no redemption for Satan. And this is the only one that Jesus is in company with right now in the wilderness. He's in company with the evil one. The devil doesn't let up. He's relentless in his attack because he knows if he gets the son, none of us are here. There is no redemption. There's no salvation. He wants to get the head of the new human race. He wants to bring Christ down the tower and so he comes to Christ a second time in verses 5 through 8. Where does he take him? He takes him to a high mountain. And he shows him what? All the kingdoms of the world 
in a moment. And you say, well, how's that possible? I mean, how high does a mountain have to be? Well, this is not a dream. Understand that. It's an actual event. Even though we cannot understand the how of the event, this has actually happened. We don't understand how, but it actually happened in this temptation, but also the next. Jesus going to the pinnacle of the temple. But what's clear here is it was a real assault, a painful assault of Satan upon him, a real Satan, and a real temptation for Jesus. Satan says, all that, hey, son of God, all that is for you. I will give it all to you. But there's only one condition. It's all yours with one condition. All you have to do is make one simple bow before me. Just bow before me. And it's all yours. Wow, how tempting. You know, who wouldn't want to escape suffering? Who would want to escape death and the grave for something like this? Wow, to be the king over kingdoms. Satan said, fall down and worship me. Just one little thing, one little concession. Here again, you see like Adam, Jesus is tempted to be king in his own way. That's what Adam did in his temptation. Satan tempts him to be king. Hey, you want to be king of your own life? All you have to do is don't listen to God. And you have everything you want. That's, that's the package that Satan sells things to us in. It makes it look really good. Well, God had already planned that he would send his son to die and rise again in our place. For what purpose? To establish his reign, his kingdom on earth. Satan was lying that the kingdoms belonged to him. Certainly he's the prince of the air. He's the prince of the world. But the kingdoms never belonged to him. They belonged to the Lord. Satan subverted, but they belonged to the Lord. Where was the temptation then? Well, Satan's way requires no suffering, no death. Think about what it means to follow Christ, right? Sometimes people want real easy Christianity. They want to be a Christian, but they don't want to take the cost. They don't want to follow in the way of obedience and trust. That's the kind of thing that Satan is tempting Jesus with here. Very real. Jesus, Son of God, no cross is required of you. You can have it. Just bow. Again, don't even start reasoning with Satan. Don't even start thinking about how you might answer. You take up the sword of the word of God, right? The sword, which is the word of God. Jesus does that immediately. He comes with scripture. Once again, he appeals to scripture, this time to Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Christ, praise God. He did not turn his back on the Father, he did not turn his back on us. He smote Satan in the face with scripture, with the word of God. Satan's not done yet. Satan is relentless. He is, he, he's, he's angry. He's roaring like a lion. He doesn't want salvation to come to people and to, 
to kill salvation, he has to root, kill the root, which is Jesus. Well, unlike Adam, Christ chose to go God's way, the way of the cross, the way of paying the price for sin and gain kingdoms. It's his crown, his inheritance, and ours. He gains that by the way of his obedience and suffering. Only in this way can we ever experience redemption as his sinful lost people. Only then can we experience the rule of his love and grace in our lives. Insight by Satan's way, Christ will only inherit a sinful lost world and that's it. No, Christ must go to the cross. He must go to the grave to receive the crown and for us to receive the crown. You know, it's, nature, it's Satan's nature not to let up. He comes to Christ a third time, verses 9 through 12. And this time, Satan's a little bit smart. He's very cunning. He knows, he knows how we respond, and he'll try to use what we respond so they can try to really get us. What does Satan do in the third temptation? Oh, he also quotes the Bible. Satan loves quoting the Bible because that's the best way to get Christians. But here he quotes Bible to Christ because Christ is quoting scripture. What does Satan do? He brought him to Jerusalem. He brought Jesus to Jerusalem and led him on the pinnacle of the temple. And what do we read here? We know that the pinnacle of the temple was probably a wing of the temple, probably the highest point of the temple. And it said that looking down was probably about 450 feet. That's a long ways down, 450 feet. Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And what does Satan do? He quotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12, to say that God will send his angels to protect him. Now, Satan quotes scripture, but he's always misinterpreting them. Right? Satan loves to use Christian pastors today even to misquote scripture and lead them in the wrong way. Satan himself, he's an evangelist, you see here, pretending to be one. He's a false prophet. He quotes scripture. Thank God for Jesus. He's the son of God. He could see right through him. Jesus knew he had divine power. How tempting. Like Adam, He's encouraged to put God to the test. Yeah, has God said? Yeah, didn't God say that in the Bible? What if I just throw myself down? Like Adam, Jesus is tempted to test his father's word. Not to believe it, but to test him. Didn't God say he'll protect you with angels? If you're the son of God, Satan says, prove it. Prove it. Throw yourself off the temple. But you know what? That would not be trusting God. That would be tempting God. You know, we should not expect the Lord's blessings if we do not walk in his ways. Sometimes it happens that we want to walk in our own way and say, Lord, bless us. Lord, bless us. That's tempting God. And that's what Satan was doing with Jesus. He was tempting Jesus to recklessly endanger his own life. Tempting God. Say, yeah, if you're the son of God, you'll be safe. No, no, no. 
I cannot do what I want and then expect God to bless it. That's false assurance. That's a false confidence. What did Jesus do? He sees right through Satan. He sees him right through misquoting scripture as the false prophet, right? Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light over here. And Jesus goes right to scripture once again to Deuteronomy. And what's he say? He says, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now more could be said here. You notice that all three references come from Deuteronomy. And all three references come at a time when Israel, God's son, was wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. We're not going to go there. That's more Matthew's version of it or uh, focus. But here it's related to the Adam so much can be brought to light here for our comfort today. First of all, see Jesus triumph over Satan. This was a unique event. Every bit as much as his death and resurrection are unique events in redemptive history. This only happened once as the head of the human race. Temptations happen to us all the time. But as the once, the one time he received this temptation, as the head, as the new Adam, the final Adam, that came to him once. Instead of listening to the word of Satan, Jesus quotes the words of scripture right back into Satan's face. As much as the cross and the resurrection, this is a once for all event. And unlike the first Adam, Jesus obeyed perfectly. As a second Adam, he obeyed perfectly for us. He didn't have to obey for himself. He was already perfect. He could not sin. Remember, he's a son of God. Truly human, he was tempted, but he did this for us. With this combat, Jesus, the true seed, the true son of God, at this point, you see him beginning to crush the head of Satan. Now, as we go throughout the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see how he incrementally continues to crush the head of Satan through miracles, through words, through preaching, until it comes to his final act of the cross, and the resurrection. That's the first thing. See here already his triumph over Satan, his victory over Satan. Second thing, what else do you see here? He was anointed to be as our prophet, priest, and king. See our high priest here. He's suffering in our place. Hebrews 2.18 talks about our great high priest who suffered being tempted for us. He's a prophet, he bought, fought back with the word of God, with scripture, and he's a king, victorious over Satan. See verse 13? And Satan departed from him. Not for a moment did Jesus leave the path of trust and obedience to his father for the salvation of his people. He resisted. He overcame his temptations for one purpose, so that we too might resist Temptation, giving in to temptation, and overcome. That's where we're going to land the plane this morning, the final few moments. Jesus went through all of this in his love, in his grace, leaving his throne, leaving his eternal glory, leaving from his side, from the Father, from all eternity. He did this, humbling himself for us. And now Jesus says, that's where we find the strength to trust and obey what God will say. 
to trust and obey what he says. Say no to Satan. No to the way of Satan. Yes to the way of Christ. Three practical lessons here. First, know your tempter, the devil. The devil would not leave Christ alone. He's certainly not going to leave Christians alone. He loves to attack. He wants to attack incessantly the faith of believers, the faith of those who follow Christ. He will always try to tempt us to sin by filling our minds and filling our thought, or filling our minds with wrong thoughts and desires. You know what he loves to do? He loves to use those arrows, think of Ephesians 6, to try to get us at our weak points, to find certain points of contact in our sinful nature. Oh, he says, I have a sweet deal for you. I have a sweet deal. I have an attractive package for you. I have a promise for you. Don't forget, he's a false prophet. And he packages things up in such delicious ways that look so good, tantalizing to the eyes and to the ears. And you give him dead. Well, dead, but misery comes. Misery comes. And we see that it's like the fish drawn out of water. Right? He's not in his natural habitat anymore. Wow. We are so helpless against his power. We should be conscious of that. He's deceptive. He's a liar. And he tempts us to think that there's a better way. Oh, there's a better way than obeying God. But then at this point, knowing the power of your tempter, we look to Jesus, who's even more powerful. He's the only power, the only one in whom, whom we can receive help in times of temptation. And so the call here is to look to Jesus in two ways. First of all, because he defeated Satan, he is willing and he is able to help us in our temptations. Look at Hebrews 2.18. For, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He is able to help. He's able to aid. The second thing, Hebrews 4 says here, 15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. So go to him. Go to him. Seek mercy. Find grace. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Sometimes the severest temptations are the times that we need him the most to keep us from giving in, to keep us in the way of trust and obedience, how we need him. That's the first thing. He aids us. He helps us in our temptations. And when we're faced with temptation, he will always provide a way out. No one is ever so tempted that you say, it's impossible. 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. For with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And you know what else? He not only provides a way of escape, but when we do sin, when we find ourselves giving into temptation and we do sin, there's also always a way out. There is. 
the grace of God. He says, hey, you fell in, you fell into temptation, you sin. There is a way out, repentance. That's why he died on the cross. We look to his finished work on the cross through repentance in him. He washes, he cleanses. And he says, I'm the new Adam. I can make you new again. Believe in me, trust me. I can wipe away your record and begin new again. Right? Out of the ash heap, he builds beautiful piles of flowers. He builds beautiful lives. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And finally, the third thing, we have the same thing that Jesus had in his temptations. We have the word of God. And it's a call to use the word of God to resist temptation. Three times, right? Jesus uses the word of God as a weapon, a good weapon. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Are you tempted by sexual immorality? Say to Satan, Satan, God's word says, I must flee sexual morality. Are you tempted to break your marriage? Satan says, break it. And you come with the word of God and say, God's word says the two shall become one. No, Satan. Don't even entertain the thought. Neither must we. Don't start reasoning. You answer with the word of God. That's the way to go. You're tempted to pay lottery? Satan says, ah, you don't have much money. Play lotto. And we give in. And you say, oh no, Satan. Never, ever, ever. God's command is you shall not steal. Because it's a form of stealing. Resist, resist, resist with the word of God. That, of course, means knowing the word of God. Oh, it's so important that we know the word of God. Uh, think of Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. For what purpose? That I might not sin against you. How we ought to know the word of God so that we can answer Satan at the moment, immediately. And so walk in the way of life, walk in the way of blessing. And yeah, to our children too. I teach them, read the word of God every day, the stories of the Bible, acquaintance. Come to acquaint yourself with the word of God, with who God is, who Christ is, but also knowing the power of the tempter whom Christ came to crush. May it be an encouragement to us to trust and obey. You know what? Jesus didn't obey the devil, but his hunger was satisfied, not by bread from stones, as Satan just suggested. You know what else? The angels did surround Christ after he overcame Satan. You read that about you read about that in Mark chapter one. Not to protect him in his sinful ways, of course. And what else? The way to kingship lay wide open, not through worshiping Satan, but through his death, resurrection, ascension, and his eventual return from heaven. By trusting and obeying Jesus, there is life, there is blessing. Satan is out to maim, hurt, destroy, and to take us away from that blessing. But we go to Christ and he maintains us. There's that assurance. You want assurance? 
That assurance is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Think back to our introduction. Every time of trouble comes as a wall with two doors. The one is written God's way to victory, and on the other is God's, or sorry, Satan's way to defeat. God's way to victory, one door. Satan's way to defeat, the other door. In Christ, through faith in Christ, we choose, do we not, the door to victory? Well, that means trusting, obeying. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey because Christ has overcome. And because he has, we overcome in Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door into the pasture, the door into the kingdom. Amen.